I'm Kevin Coleman at the boys underscore 22. I'm Jeff Bell at for whom J Bell tolls. And Christian is not here, but this is the Debbie Roy. Yeah. I do this day in and day out oh. all night long. Yeah. This is all I think about. This is all I care about. Y'all all I care about. Let's go, man. It's here. We televised. So you know we got to show out. Yeah. They talking junk. So you know we got to put them to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go, man. Let's go. Don't play. Let's go. We do this every day. We work too hard. Day in, day like I told y'all. They'll do what we do. They'll do what we do. They never done what we did. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Debbie Royale. And then this is going to be a little bit of a different episode. Uh, we're going to be doing a special mail mailbag episode that we have from listeners, people out there, and just tons of reader questions going through some guys that you guys have been talking about. We really appreciate that. And then we're going to get to kind of who's going to win the Super Bowl predictions. But first, let's go to college football news. And and uh, wow, this is hard for me to say. Josh Gaddis is leaving Michigan. Uh He's going to Miami for the same role, same job that, that he's going to Miami for. What do we uh, What do we have to say about this, uh, uh, Jeffrey? What, what do we got going on with Josh Gaddis? I know you're laughing over there, and you're and you're excited for Michigan losing this guy. You know, I, I'm not laughing. Um, well, first off, we need to address it. We're not going to play any games tonight because Christian's yeah. not here, and when we are not all together, we do not play games. We um, stick to business. And so, circling back to Josh Gaddis. I know that Josh Gaddis has the offensive genius label. I don't, I don't know. I feel like as an Ohio state fan, maybe I'm just biased in it, but I feel like I've watched a decent amount of Michigan football and I've never said to myself, they're doing something incredibly innovative over there. It just kind of (laughs) seems like, you know, they, they love to ground and pound the ball. It's, it's just feels like a Jim Harbaugh offense. And so him leaving, I don't know really what changes I we kind of need to go into it because the whole vibe around Michigan is just kind of strange right now because it does kind of seem now I've, I've heard conflicting things, but it did kind of sound like Jim Harbaugh thought for sure that he was going to be the Minnesota Vikings coach. And he kind of told people around Michigan, go ahead and make other plans and kind of told recruits, parents and everything else, go ahead and make other plans. I'm not going to be here. And then, um, he went and actually did the interview for the Vikings and he didn't get the job. And so it, I think there were some situations there knowing people thinking that he had an in with it. And sometimes life doesn't work that way. And, and, you know, yeah. and it sounds for, for everything that I have heard, it sounds like Kevin O'Connell went in, knocked their socks off, had a plan for everything that they were going to do. And they just, he just won the job and good for him. And now Jim Harbaugh's back. Good for you. Good for Michigan. Jim Harbaugh's back. Good for Ohio state. Jim Harbaugh's back. And so, you know, Michigan kind of, it's, uh, it's frustrating. I would imagine as a fan, the feeling like you finally click something there and um, Jim Harbaugh just kind of steps in and, and, sets it back almost. So we'll kind of wait and see how everything plays out. How are your feelings on this move? 
Yeah, you know, um, I have a good friend named Dylan, and he's a big Michigan fan. We talk about it all the time. And we both kind of said, like, yeah, this is kind of overrated. Like, we kind of we already mentioned that. Like, you talked about it, too. Like, this has a lot of hardball hands on this offense. I don't think that Gaddis was really kind of that guy. I mean, remember the first year with Gaddis? And it was not good. Like, they wanted him fired, and it was not looking good. And last year it looked okay. Like, I do think that maybe he would have been a good developer for, like, JJ with McCarthy maybe coming in there. Maybe he could help him there. Uh, But, again – I think you're right about Harbaugh. I think he thought he had the job. Then he didn't get the job, and he's like, oh, shit. And when I looked at the recruiting class, you could tell. I mean, he, we still had a top-10 class, according to 247 Sports, and it's it's okay. Like, when you look at what he did, he shirt up the, you know, cornerbacks. He got one of the best cornerbacks in the country from Michigan. Uh, you know, and you're looking at kind of where he went through wide receivers. I really like this Tyler Morris kid, but I, I don't like to talk about him because – I'm a Michigan fan and receivers go to Michigan, they die. So like, I don't like want to pump them up, but I will say like his class is okay. Like he did a pretty good job of recruiting this year. I, I don't, it sucks that he left. I wish he would have stayed because of continuity. And I do think that he was a good players coach. Like I think the players really liked him, but I also think one other area of this was, I think administration, they thought Harbaugh was leaving. And I think they told Josh, he wasn't the guy. So if he's not going to be the guy then why would he stay? You know, I think that he's going to be a head coach somewhere at some point. So I think they basically said like, Hey, you're not going to be our next head coach. And I bet you that hurts his feelings, right? Like, I feel like that probably hurts your feelings after being there. Well, I would imagine. And also I would imagine it damages some recruiting relationships as well. The way that everything played out with Harbaugh. We know that it's so important, the relationships that college coaches and high school coaches have together. And if there's, you know, there's lack of trust there. I know one of the big problems that was going on with Brady Hoke and some of the other guys was yeah. essentially, you know, Michigan cast tech and, and schools like that had, were getting relationships with Ohio state and Ohio state was walking in there and plucking guys out. And so, uh, you know, Mike, Mike Weber was one of those guys that probably should have been Michigan guy in another lifetime ends up at Ohio state. So yeah, I think that it damages recruiting everything is just so so shaky when it comes to college football and those relationships and especially as we enter the world of nil and and money that can be offered up well we're talking about relationships let's talk about brian harson uh brian harson auburn uh head coach he uh he did a thing we don't necessarily know what he did but uh it was definitely uh i think he did his assistant coach uh there's a lot of things going on in that uh that auburn program right now Derek Mason lab. We did. We've seen a lot of to Oklahoma state, which doesn't seem like a, doesn't seem like a getting up job. It seemed like a getting out of their job. Offensive coordinator quit within two weeks. A lot of issues going on there. What the hell is going on with Brian Harson and Auburn? Well, I think we kind of had an idea. The, Looking back, the Bo Nix transfer felt really weird when it happened. That was one of those that, yeah, um, like, why? What, what's going on here? And, you know, he ends up at Oregon, and we kind of th- thought initially that's a step back to go to Oregon out of the SEC West and a premier t- school in the SEC West. Now it seems like maybe Bo had a pretty good idea what was going around on around the school, especially a guy like him that had deep ties to the school, you know, his father playing yeah. there and everything with that. Um it, Bobby Petrino is a name that has circled, uh, you know, this Brian Harrison situation. Um, it, you know, it, schools out there, when you hire a coach and he says, I want to bring my special assistant and she was a cheerleader and everything else, <laughs> you, you need to be asking some questions about the relationship, maybe up front before you, you kind of just sign, hand over the, the reins to your new head coach, but um, such is life. And, you know, hopefully him and he can find some peace. I don't, 
you know, he's still got a job. I believe so. I don't believe that they've officially fired him yet. I saw some tweets yesterday about him spending some time in sandals waiting for a, his buyout to be delivered to him, like essentially on vacation right now. So um, they need to act quick if they're, I don't know if they are, I would imagine they're probably lining it up so that to determine if they have cause, because I saw something else that if they were to fire him, that essentially they'd be paying $40 million to coaches that aren't on, aren't affiliated with the program anymore. So I'm sure that they're trying to find some cause, you know, obviously with the urban Meyer situation, we saw Jacksonville found cause to get out of that contract. And if, if you're a coach, you know, you, you need to act like the CEO and, and the leader of this program. If you don't, and if there's a paper trail or whatever it might be that leads to schools getting out. And if you're not successful, they're going to take it and they're going to yeah. let go of you. And, they're going to avoid that buyout. They're going to move on because it's not a good look for the program, but they're kind of reaching the point where I don't know who they'd be able to bring in in reality. That would be a decent hire. You'd essentially be stuck with an interim coach for a year and then turn around and hit the, the cycle next time. I saw someone say they'll bring back Gus or they're giving him miles on and he'll come back and be the savior of uh, the Auburn program. Bring um, back Kerry Bowden for a year. <laughs> I mean, like Chiswick's doing something. Where's Chiswick at? I, I will say, I, I will say this. Like Harson did not do really, really recruiting. So when he, I was looking it up, even as I was going over it, I mean, eighth in the SEC is what he's at. That's not yeah. good. And seventh last year. And I know they came in with a kind of a weird class or whatever the case may be, but eighth and seventh in the SEC is not going to get you where you need to go in that class. And when you look at the people, the, the players he brought in, there's really no top guys that you're looking at, except for their di- defensive linemen. They have the number one in there, Jeffrey Maba, but he was Independence uh, Community College. So he was a, definitely a junior college transfer. So sure. when you're looking at that perspective, so I had somebody ask me this. I had a question about Auburn. Somebody said Auburn is more like Arkansas than Alabama in, in terms of like what they actually are compared to what they think they are. Do you agree with that? The thing of it is, is we've seen Auburn crack through and we know yeah. that they're capable of winning national championships. I would say that they are not on one. I kind of have an open question about Alabama post Saban is you know, is it Saban? Is it Alabama? Because we saw for a solid it's 10 Saban. plus year stretch. Yeah, it's Saban. it's Saban. It is. Because, you know, if Saban were at Ohio State or Saban were at Texas, if Saban at USC, that's the best job in America. And yeah. whoever follows him, golly, I couldn't even imagine following in Nick Saban's footsteps in Tuscaloosa. And I wouldn't be surprised if they hit the skids a little bit because that's not exactly um, – you know, especially when we enter the world of NIL, like a, like a school like Miami, like somebody's going to figure that out and they're going to unlock things in Miami that aren't available in some of these other areas. Now, the SEC takes things so seriously that I, you know, I, I have to take that. I think that eventually you'll see Tennessee and Arkansas pull guys that normally would have been going to Penn State simply because they're going to get paid more at even a secondary third third tier school in the sec than a premier school at an, another conference but yeah uh, i don't know that we're quite there yet but it kind of feels like we're going to be close the way that texas a&m went in and, and spent so much money in the recruiting world and and other schools will see that and they'll follow suit um, but i they're definitely above the arkansas in my mind but um yeah i think there's some separation between you know i really view it as alabama lsu kind of the premier programs in the sec west and i guess you'd have to put uh texas a&m there as well 
Yeah, I mean, I think it, you know, I was looking at it, I was trying to like rank them. Alabama, Georgia, really, I think at the top. LSU and then Texas A&M, I think are in a tier. I think it's close. LSU, so I, I cannot watch Brian Kelly dance anymore. Like, I just, I can't do it, Brian. You didn't even Brian, get the kid. Stop dancing. Like, it's killing me. But I, I mean, that's a clear, I mean, if they have a guy, we know that they can recruit and they got guys there. I think it's those four. And I think Auburn finds itself in that fifth category. And I, and I, and I, I think they're kind of in them by themselves. Like I wouldn't put Arkansas, Florida, I guess, I guess Florida, I, I think you, Florida. I think that when Florida's clicking, they got to be in the top tier. You know, they, okay. th- there's just so much talent there in the state. We've seen it in the history that, you know, they obviously won championships with Spurrier. They won championships with urban Meyer. We've seen over the last 20 years, them raise, raise up and be a premier program in college football. It's, it's there. Um, I don't know that it's, there right now but yeah I, you know it can be there that's fine I, I i forgot florida i i really don't like florida florida fans and stuff they're kind of arrogant to me so i just i left you out i would still put them in that second tier though it's georgia alabama right now and then everybody else in there so all right we talked too much about a really bad program let's go to lincoln riley he defended his recruiting of oklahoma players by saying that they just went into the transfer portal he was not recruiting oklahoma players he was recruiting transfer portal players and then at that same time he said that the transfer portal was bad and we need to fix it so is lincoln riley's full of shit like he recruited oklahoma players right joe well of course he did i I mean if it wasn't a directly through them you know the word got around but to be fair he recruited these guys once and he recruited them again you know it's kind of I don't know. He put in the work and he built the relationships. I can't blame any of this because if, if I'm a kid, if I'm a 19 year old kid, 18 year old kid, and I trust myself to Lincoln Riley to deliver me to the NFL and he goes to leaves to another school, let's be real here. You, you know, you're a California guy and I'm kind of a more, I'm a Midwestern guy, obviously. If, if all situations were even, would I be living in Los Angeles, California, <laughs> or Norman, Oklahoma? I mean, you know, I'm sorry, Oklahoma fans, but many of them probably would prefer to live a, a nice life in Los Angeles over Norman, yes. Oklahoma as well. So let's be real about that. But the relationships are so important in college football, especially between the coaches and the players that I can't blame the players for following them. I do think there's a, it's a rich sense of irony in these coaches complaining about the portal being bad when they're pulling it out of them. They don't, they don't like when their players go in the portal and they, they hate that they're having to recruit their players every day um, just because generationally it's it's been so much we're going to tell you one thing to get you in the door and once you get here that doesn't matter anymore and i think that now they're realizing it does you know and you're not having these these guys aren't tied down they're not tied down in a salary or anything like that if you're in the situation in the nfl where everybody could just leave the jaguars or just leave whoever whatever bad team they all wanted to leave they would they would all enter the transfers everybody that could play would be gone i think i think too like when we're mentioning all this stuff about the portal and i mean i think it really it comes down to money right now like i think that's just the thing like i think everybody needs to understand that we're we're working on a special project for all you wrl people right now and i was doing a thing for colorado and I'm, i was researching them and talking about them and they actually had a player say basically a player that had transferred 
he said, hey, this is a business and they're not doing they're not giving us NIL opportunities. And when we saw Colorado, they lost all kinds of players. Ashad Clayton, Jared Broussard, Brendan Rice, who went to USC. I just did a thing on the, our YouTube channel for him. Like uh, and you saw all of these guys leave and they said, hey, we're not getting opportunities here. We're going to go somewhere else. And I think that's the crux of everything. It's money. And if, they, if these schools don't start stepping up, like I think Stanford's in trouble. I think a lot of these schools that don't are kind of hesitant to do it. If they're not going to do it, go. But I think I do think the thing with Lincoln Riley is just say it. Like, yeah, they were my guys. I went to LA. I have money, and we have boosters, and they wanted to come here. I mean, what's the, what's to say? You know, that's not against the violation. I get that you want to do the optics, but right now, this is money. This is all related to money. That's where these guys are going. And you and if you don't think these guys text each other or Snapchat each other and say, hey. Look at I got this and this and this from this school. You should come here too. You're full. Of, you're full of it. Like you're just full of it there. Well, the reality of it is, I don't know where where we're going to end up versus where we are right now. I have to believe that there is going to be a split, a separation, and there is going to be the Ohio States, the USC's, yeah. the Alabamas, and they're going to treat players like employees and they're going to give players contracts. Players are going to get paid and, and that's how it's going to happen. NIL will probably be filtered not to the individual players instead to through the school. And they will include those as the contracts that are signed. And then your Stanford's of the world and whoever wants to go with them, Maybe they are more of a club level type thing, yeah. or maybe it's more like division two that we see now. And and I think that there, there will be still be opportunities there. You know, ESPN needs to get so many games on TV that if you have a split out that you've got 50 of the top power five or, or 50, just playing conferences, whatever it might be 30, 40 at the very top. Sure. Those games will get all the athletes and they'll get, they'll get premier premier TV time. But the Stanford game will still get aired because there's still going to be interest in it, and there's still going to be able to, to fill TV time. And you might end up with a split of, you know, 40 teams over here running it like a professional league, signing guys to contracts, maybe yeah. even trading guys around. Who knows how that'll end up? And then you'll have a, another section of, you know, right now we're at 120 teams in Division One. If you've got 80 over here and 40 over here, and the other 80 are doing things that are more of a traditional collegiate model or trying to get guys on a stipend type thing and take care of them a little bit, but also being more amateur in things because we know that everybody in the G five, how many of those teams could really realistically afford to pay athletes? Like they, they yeah. can't. No. I mean, you know, they're, they're taking paycheck games for, from, they'll take $4 million to go lose to Alabama because that runs the entire athletic program for the year. And they don't have money laying around for guys. And, and but they can, these guys can go out, you know, in, in school and directional school in Michigan can go out and, and work a deal with a local restaurant and get the guys a little bit of money, but that's an entirely different world than what's really happening at the high end. You know, you're right. I mean, I think they're going to, it's they're almost going to eat each other alive. Like the smaller schools are just going to eat each other there. And we're going to see these kind of bigger schools there. I'm okay with it. It is what it is. Like, this is what we got. And then in terms of NIL stuff, Lincoln Riley, I don't think he should take shots. I do think he's a little hypocritical saying, I mean, I understand the transfer portal is bad and it's, it, it, it's not bad. That's a bad word. I should have used. I'm, I'm a history teacher though. So hold on. I would say that it's, it's got some inefficiencies. Like there's some things about it that they need to fix in terms of like, monitoring how these guys get money i feel like there's some shady shit already i mean 
even though it's in the open, there's still some shady stuff going on under the table for where these guys are going. When you see Caleb Williams at the LA Ram game and he's with a bunch of different producers and stuff like that, like there's some stuff going on that the NCAA has no, no way to do. Like they have no way that they're actually going to be able to go into these guys. So I do think that I do understand what he's coming from, but he's got to be not the guy that says it. Like Saban's been saying it. He's still saying it. But I don't think the NCAA has any idea what to do. I feel like the floodgate is open and there is just nothing. They can't stop it. So that's just kind of where we're at. The thing of it is, is they need to they need to put cost control on it is reality of it is, is because it's going to continue to escalate and you're going to have what, how long until some booster offers $20 million to the next Quinn Ewers to go to Alabama. And, yeah. and then like, you're just going to have an escalation of an arms race yeah. unless you figure out some way. And it's, I don't know, I guess it may, I don't know, anti-American, whatever it is, but like there's labor unions and things like that, that, push and pull you know we see with baseball right now baseball is not being played right now and and baseball who knows if it's going to be played this year because the the people that control the purse strings said this is getting out of control we need to take a step back here and yeah there needs to be it just can't there's i don't know apparently there's an infinite amount of cryptocurrency in the world to be able to pay (laughs) players i guess but i just don't see how this arms race can continue to escalate without colleges getting ahead of it and saying you know if you're losing money hand over fist at an alabama or at a uh, usc then you've got a real problem i think they gotta figure it out and i I do think that they're gonna be something coming on they just need to make a czar of college football we're always here for you guys you want to make a czar the debbie royale we'd be happy to run it you know yep we'll we'll sponsor our shit We'll, we'll be good to go all right let's uh we're gonna jump over to a little bit of strategy today so we don't talk about this often but i think with guys startup season coming and stuff like that we wanted to kind of give a little intro to c2c debbie college fantasy kind of draft strategy and just in general the strategy in terms of like where do we get started and kind of how we go into each one i I figure we should maybe start with debbie first that seems to be kind of the easiest one to kind of explain and go into Uh, i've done a lot of strategy videos i know jeff has done that too we've kind of talked about debbie in a way I would say, like, if you're wanting to get involved in Debbie, which is something I, I really feel like you need to get involved in. I know IDP is all the rage, but Debbie can really kind of you can really go into Debbie and you can really kind of jump into it. And you, and I think it helps you from a dynasty perspective too. dynasty managers. You guys can learn these guys. I would do one round of Debbie. Like I would if you're just very new to it, one round of just a supplemental draft where you have one round after your rookie draft. And then after your guys' startup draft, you do a Debbie draft and just keep it at one round because then you're still getting real dudes in the rookie drafts and you still can kind of get some guys and, and it's not as not as big. And so from my perspective, how to start it, it would just be a one round Debbie draft. Then you kind of you can get guys like B. John Robinson, Tank Bigsby, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, all those guys. And you know those guys. It's not it's 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 not hard to understand those guys. So for me personally, with Debbie, in terms of like just how to get started, do one round. And that's and that's very simple. And it's not a lot of spread sheets or in sleeper you can change the player nicknames to the actual college player if you want to go on sleeper mfl you can actually customize them and put them in but that takes a little bit more like heavy lifting for your commissioner uh so that would be my my opinion for just debbie like one round keep it simple yeah the value in that is adjusting your eye line it, it's changing it from i think that a lot of times 
when people are playing dynasty, they're conceptually talking about the value of picks, but they're not putting player names on those picks and they don't know who they're going to do. Even at this point in the season, I don't, I think there are a lot of people holding 22 picks who are like, maybe I have the one Oh nine, but I'm not entirely sure who I'm going to get with the one Oh nine. Whereas yeah. if you're playing that Debbie, you've got a pretty good idea. And so, and so much of the buzz, especially this year, it's talking so much about 23 being more valuable than 22, which is very true. I think that you probably have at least six, seven, maybe eight guys who might go 101 in 22 who are going to be in the 23 class. So you're, you're aware of that. You're planning for that. But there is value in the 22 picks. There, yeah. there are players coming into these classes. And so many times that you're seeing people – on Twitter, we'll just throw out blanket statements of, oh, the 22 class is bad. Oh, you don't want to get these picks. But it, it allows you to build structure within your mind on where building boards, where am I going to value guys? Where yeah. do I want to get my picks up to? Where's the tier? Where do I want to move off of picks? And and so I think that that's just so valuable for dynasty owners. And in and, and reality is dynasty players, you, you get into one Debbie league and just even one league can change your eyeline on that. And, and, you know, we love college football on this show, obviously. So we're going to watch the games anyways, but if you enter into, to Debbie and maybe you're holding Bijan Robinson on your team and and you're gonna oh Texas is playing Oklahoma I'm gonna check that out just so so I can watch Bijan in this yeah. game and you know if you're a football fan and you love watching football and that's why you're playing fantasy it's just another reason to do that yeah and I, and I think he's right too I mean I just put out my 2023 rookie draft rankings like I just did on Twitter real quick the first round just for fun I had more rounds I could do but I went Bryce Young CJ Stroud at the 102 Bijan uh, Jackson spent the Jigba at 104, Kayshawn Boutte at 105, Gibbs at 106, Evans 107, uh, Tank at 108, which, you know, I think he's going a little bit lower right now. I think he can be a value in drafts. Uh, Quentin Johnson at the 109, Jordan Addison at the 110, Sean Tucker to 111, and, and Michael Mayer at the 112. But I know that because I know that I've been watching these guys for a long time. But that also gives me an idea right now going into 2022 drafts. Like, hey, if I want to move, like, so I said I would move my first, my 109, or higher, probably for just a straight up 23 first. If I can get a 23 first in that class, well, I know based on my rankings for next year, what I'm looking at. If I look at the team and think, hey, you know what? Maybe this is kind of a middle tier team. He thinks he's better. If I can get JSN with the 110 or the 110 or 111, I'm going to do that. And I think that is where the value comes from. It's not just playing Debbie in terms of a college guys. You don't have to really like college football to play Debbie. Like it's just kind of, you're going to know these guys anyway. And I think there's some value to that. I agree. I agree completely. All right. Yeah. See, that's what happens here when Christian's not here. We always agree. All right. Let's uh, let's talk about C two C. What is, what is your strategy with C two C? Because I've been talking a lot in terms of just. I know you went into a C two C last year. We, we we make fun of it. It's called the team of death, and uh, it, it was it didn't work turn out very well. What do what do you go with C two C, and how how do you feel like? We're trying something with the Debbie Royale. We've been trying. We're trying something new. We have some guinea pigs on how to kind of ease into this. Or C2C. Yeah. So, so C2C, you know, I, and I take a lot of my strategy from you. I owe it to you. I think you've taught me more in the college football fantasy space than probably anybody has. And I think that there are probably a lot of people that can relate to that because you are so good at re reaching people that are learning and getting into it. And you take your time and to do that. Uh, my strategy is to try to essentially treat the early rounds as Debbie and try to get guys that I feel comfortable projecting to the NFL. And then you start to blend in you start to essentially roll the dice between taking college producers that 
you feel comfortable like a guy like Tavion Thomas is somebody that I took in this draft and and yeah. maybe he ends up as a third round pick next year and, and maybe he ends up as like a Khalil Herbert type that is a backup that could step into a role but I feel very comfortable about the production that I'm going to get from him at Utah this past this coming year you know he scored nearly 20 touchdowns last year so I, I feel pretty good about that and so it's really just building those and, and then I like today I took Jordan James the, the freshman that he trans he pulled out of Georgia and he decided to go to Oregon instead and the depth chart looks pretty good for him at Oregon to be able to work in there but he's mm-hmm. he's a freshman and you know he's it's very uncertain or like this weekend I took Sam Horn who's the number eight ish quarterback that's going to be going to Mizzou and and he probably won't play right away but he's got tools and you know that's a projection and whereas the difference between just the, having that balance between getting college producers that are able to start yeah. that you know are not going to be playing in the NFL Really, once you get past that first tier of like essentially treating it early like Debbie, if you get big producers who also you feel comfortable going to the NFL, that's that's really where you want to hit it. And that's essentially to bring it over. It, it's really kind of the same way that I play Dynasty conceptually a little bit where like the early picks, like I'm going for youth and production. In, when I'm in early dynasty startup, because it's easy, very easy to do that. It's very easy to find guys that are 22, 23 that are already producing that I feel comfortable produ- projecting into the future. As you move down your dynasty startup, if you think just kind of move that concept over, you run into where you're rolling the dice on a guy like Josh Palmer, or you're taking current production over or like Tyler Lockett, you know, you're you're kind of deciding to weigh that balance in between your teams of, do I want to take the 30 year old wide receiver that I feel comfortable getting like the Robert Woods, give me a couple more seasons, or do I want to completely roll the dice on young Josh Palmer working into a role in the chargers? And so I think that if you're already trained to have that mindset in dynasty, and that's the way you play dynasty football, you really just carry that over to C2C and you think about the college producers as your veterans, whereas the freshmen that are coming in are more your young players that might turn into something, but you're not entirely sure. Yeah, no, I think you're on the head there. I mean, and just give everybody's perspective. We're going through a C2C right now. What we're doing is we're just keeping it at 35 rounds and it's only power five in Notre Dame and it's best ball just to get your feet wet. Like you don't necessarily have to go all these areas. And what he's talking about with strategy is what I do. Like, so in this draft, I looked at my first five picks as Debbie. I took JSN who I'm pretty comfortable with projecting to the next level. Jackson Dart, who I am comfortable projecting. I know that's a risk in terms of quarterbacks, but I'm okay with C2C production for two years as well. in an offense I like, I took Nicholas Singleton, running back, who I think is going to be very good as a freshman. It's kind of like Henderson, Travion Henderson, in terms of, hey, NFL level. I took LJ Johnson because I think that he could translate very well to the NFL level. And I took Troy Franklin, who, well, you know, we'll see. I like Troy. I think that he could be there. But with those five guys, I was looking at, hey, these guys can produce, and they can be my guys also on the NFL side. And if you can get, like, let's say three of those guys turn into first-round picks, that's a good hit rate in terms of, like, hey, can they be in that first round the next year? So the way I look at Debbie is I just – or, excuse me, C2C is, hey, first five rounds, like he mentioned, hey, guys, let me go get dudes and try to get first-round picks. And then after that, I'll mix some stuff in there. I got Will Rogers, some other guys in there. So, like, I think there's a good value to that. College fantasy is a whole nother beast. Uh, I've I've only done best ball for college fantasy. I've never dived really into it. I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to get in a dynasty college fantasy league. I, that thing just changes the gears because I think like, you know, Sean Tucker is going to go higher than a lot of the drafts. Deuce Vaughn, who I got, I got Deuce Vaughn in the seventh round or eighth round or somewhere like that. And I was 
I was hesitant to grab him because he's five. He's no, he's not even taller than me. Like he's listed at five, six. I'm scared about what he's going to look at that when he actually gets measured. Uh, but that's a guy that's going what top three, top four in college fantasy yes. drafts right now. Yeah, he is. He, and it's really changing that mindset. And I played in, um, we did the campus Canton. They had an invitational league that I joined. That was a C2C last year. And there was a lot of college fantasy guys and they kicked my butt on the college side because they went for those producers. But, mm. you know, I kind of had more the Debbie mindset almost or the, and I love like the well, everything that I was able to get to project to the NFL. Like I got Olave in round three and I got these other guys that um, Weidermeyer, I think I got him pretty late. And and yeah. so, and, and you see that like that difference in mindset, that was, a, that was a really fun league. That was an interesting league to do because there was definitely guys that were gearing up towards the college fantasy side and said, I'm going to win this side and their NFL sides aren't the strongest. Yeah. Whereas like I I'm, I am much more stronger on the NFL side and I'll readily admit that, that I'm still learning and developing in the college side fantasy side. And, um, but I I was able to take advantage in some of those areas and I'm excited about the guys that I'm coming to my team next year. And and I'll be honest too. Like, I think the, the, the thing about C2C that I like the most is if you're out of it on the NFL side, just trade your NFL assets for college dudes. And then you can go for it on the college side. Like I won the program this year, which is a pretty big league. It's like 36 people in it. But the reason why I won that is because me and Austin, Debbie Deeds, who does the Campus of Canton stuff, we both went for it. And we trade a lot of our NFL side. And I still have Jamar in that team and stuff like that. But I went for it. He went for it. And I ended up winning. But I think it gives that extra kind of, hey, now you can have this guy for a couple years. Like I traded Stafford uh, for Sam Howell, Relief Brown, and a, and a draft pick and a wide receiver. Like I did some things that I think that put me in position to win it. And then you kind of just figure it out from there. It does take a lot though. And I wouldn't recommend joining a ton of C2Cs. I would keep it very simple. Like, and if you're going to do best ball, that's okay. I like to do starters just because I like that idea, but I like to set my lineups. But if you're just learning, I think best ball is a very, very, very good option for you. So I have a question for you Um, as somebody that uh, botched my first C2C league. So it would seem conceptually to me that it would be much easier to rebuild on the college side simply because if you miss the studs, they're, they're cycling out. And so you're, you know, you're able to get in there. And so I think that that is something for people to realize that when they join these leagues, that maybe you don't know what you're doing on the college side, but you're just kind of getting your feet wet this is a lot different than, um, well, I took Christian McCaffrey over Patrick Mahomes and that decision is going to haunt me for the next 10 to 15 years. If this dynasty keeps running, you know, you're cycling through everybody. Realistically, the high, high performers, you're cycling through them in three years. You know, these guys, they don't want to, they shouldn't be there for more than three years. And so I think that's something to, um, just, it would seem to me that to be the way, but you know, I'd love your reinforcement on that. No, I think it does. I think there's a good value too. I think one one thing that I do is, you know, you mentioned Tyler Lockett. Lockett's a perfect guy on the if you have him on the NFL side and you feel like you're not really in it and you feel like you need to rebuild that college side too, you know, getting, getting a player for Lockett's great, but also I think there's underrated things. It depends on how you see is set up, but supplemental picks. So getting those first and second round supplemental picks can be big and 
I'm just saying that because like Lou Nichols, you know, Lou Nichols went off this last year. The reason why I kind of won my league in this last year was like, hey, we didn't really have a college side because COVID, but I knew I needed to shore up my running back situation. So I remember I traded one of my aging wide receivers for a supplemental pick. And it was not even a good aging wide receiver. It was a third round supplemental pick. Well, that third round supplemental pick, I took Lou Nichols. So I do think that you can find those kind of diamonds. And I remember I was pretty high on Lou Nichols going into season. And luckily, you know, you know, well, not luckily, I feel bad for the kid, but the guy that he was competing with hurt his ankle and he was out for the year. So that kind of vaulted Lou Nichols up. But there is ways to rebuild it. And you're right. You can transition those guys out quick. But supplement picks are just throw-ins, I think. And a lot of times, like getting the higher supplemental picks will happen. Like in the deal that I made, I made sure I got a second. I said, I'm not moving or third, whatever it was. I'm not moving without gas because you can add good pieces with that second and third supplemental. So that's where I look for the college production. Yeah, that's great. And I completely agree with that. Um, so the type of thing, if you don't know what you're doing, you draft a bad team, you, you're not stuck with it. You know, you, you yeah. can cycle, you can rebuild and keep rolling. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's interesting. I think it's a lot of fun. And I, so that's, that's the strategy. We'll get into that. We want to get to our reader questions, uh, questions to end the kind of in the segment, kind of in the show and we'll go over some. So appreciate everybody that put them in here. And hopefully for those of you listening, uh, it kind of answers some questions that we're going to get into and, and go through it. So we have our first, uh, first question here. Uh, George Martin, uh, Jorge, did the quarterbacks help or hurt their, their stock at the Senior Bowl. So we are going to talk about the Senior Bowl when Christian comes back and, and kind of dive in a little bit more deeper on that one. Uh, but what do you think here, Jeff? Well, I think it would be – Malik Willis certainly helped his stock. Yes. And, and that without question, Malik Willis helped his stock at the Senior Bowl, and it really helped us as a fantasy community wrap our brain about around where the league viewed him because you know our my hesitation was that he was going to be more of a second third round guy a project that would sit but if he's going in the first round especially early in the first round um, i think that we have to go full blow on him on the on fantasy side because an nfl team's committing themselves to him being their franchise quarterback and he's got all the tools to be a quarterback one and so it certainly helped malik willis um, i think maybe I don't the whispers sounds like it hurt Carson strong without question. You know, that was a guy that I think he needed to have a big week and it kind of seemed like he did not. Yeah, he, he struggled. He, he had a, he, he struggled with his week in terms of like just everything I heard. I, I think you're right with Malik. I know when I put in the fantasy pros thing, when I did a recap for it, I said he did enough to be drafted in the first round, whether that he's an NFL starting quarterback or not. I mean, he did enough. And so when you're looking at it from a fantasy perspective, a fantasy perspective, it's the thing. It's the same thing with Hurts, right? I don't think Jalen Hurts is that good of a quarterback. I know Christian does. I know that we all kind of I've been on the show here. We all have a different expectations of that. But you know what Hurts is? He's a good fantasy quarterback. And so when you're looking at it from that perspective, I think those are the things you have to take in mind. So if we're looking at it from a fantasy perspective, Willis is there. I still believe in strong. But I do think that Corral made out on this thing because he wasn't there. And I think that he, if he does good, I think he could easily – I think Corral could easily be the first quarterback taken. Like, if he has a good combine and he looks good, there's no reason in pro day. And he looks, hey, he looks good. They have some workouts. There's no reason to think Corral couldn't just jump in there as well. Like, I, I do think that some hurt, some didn't. But like I said, I said, you know what? I think there's a – I think it's a good thing to just say Willis did good. And he might not have gone as high as people think. But Hal also didn't drop as low as people think either. Like there's some there's some nuance to these guys. Yeah, I think there's I think it crystallized. I think 
had a good feeling, but it crystallized that there are four guys at the top of this quarterback class, you know, and I think that we kind of wanted to see strong push it in there and maybe even Desmond Ritter. But I think there are, are four, you know, we're kind of whittling down to who's going to be the number one guy. We And it's very un, almost unprecedented to be this wide open this late in the process on who will be the first quarterback in the draft. But I think that we can comfortably say there are four guys in the running right now going into the combine. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree too. So there's, there's your question. Uh, there's, there's your answer for that, but we'll, we'll dive more into it. I just, I think that this, this argument and I hate, you know, I hate it. I just feel like it's getting overplayed. I think a lot of these things get overplayed and, and I know we need content, but sh- not this shit content. Like let's, let's be better. Let's, let's be better. All right, let's go. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, how uh, from D Keezy, I think uh, that's how you say it. How many of the 2022 court rookie quarterbacks would you rather have on your favorite team versus Mitch Trubisky? Next three to four years, we got a Mitch Trubisky question. That's how you know we are in the off season. What do you think, Jeff? I would take six um, because okay. I feel comfortable. I don't. I'm. I'm. I think that Mitch Trubisky is probably more talented than most of these quarterbacks. But it's the old dynasty adage of I know what Mitch Trubisky is, whereas I'm rolling the yeah. dice on six guys that I think could potentially be better than that. No, you're right. Corral, Willis, Pickett, Howe, Strong, Ritter. I think I would take all those dudes over Trubisky. And I and I think it's a shame because I think Trubisky got damaged a little bit more in Chicago than people think. Nagy and everything that there. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't see how you're not trading any of those guys straight up for Trubisky. So I don't see how you could take any of them over Trubisky. Yes, I, uh, yeah. Some all right. Are, but. I I, I I can't. I'm not there yet. You know, I, I'm out on that one. All right. Friend of the show, fellow Ohio State alumni, uh, or I don't even know if he's alumni. He just yells at me all the time. Matt Wisp, he asked, which quarterback would you rather have for 2022? Dylan Gabriel of Oklahoma or Caleb Williams of USC? And I absolutely love this question because I think it's a it's a fascinating one. What do you think, Jeff? Uh, I mean, are we talking about fantasy? Are we talking about just so? Let's put it in perspective of just let's just do well. Let's do fantasy first. Like let's talk about like college fantasy. Who would you rather have? College fantasy, I'd rather have Caleb Williams. Um, I, you know, I think that there's does USC seems to be adding more talent every single day, and so I think that there was a time when you would have said that Dylan Gabriel had a lot more talent around him than Caleb Williams, but USC just keeps kind of dipping in the portal and keep loading up guys, and so I think that by the end of the by the time we get to the fall, USC's skill talent is going to look a lot better than maybe what it did a month ago. Um, so that there's that. And then the added bonus of rushing. So if for fantasy, I think I'd comfortably go Caleb Williams. I agree. I, I do think like uh, when I did my Dylan Gabriel, uh, Gabriel episode on the YouTube channel, you know, Jeff Levy and him, they did some great things at UCF. And so they put it, he's going to put up numbers. And I, I like Dylan. He's very limited as a quarterback in certain situations. Like the arm talent's just not there. If we're going to be honest, the release and the arm talent is just not there good enough for the NFL where Caleb has the release and the arm talent. I do think though, from a quarterback perspective, this is a lot closer because I do think in that system, I think they're going to be there. But like you said, in terms of like the weapons around them, I, I really, you know, Oklahoma season is going to come down and I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. Eric Gray, Eric Gray is going to have to have a good season in that, in that offense. And they're going to have to use him. But I, I think Levy could do something with Gabriel. I think they'll be okay. Uh, you know, I think that they have some weapons on the outside. We're talking about wide receivers and everything that are there. 
I like all those guys there, but I, I still think I lean with Caleb in both categories, but I think it's closer than what people think. Well, and I think it's fair to ask it as a situational question where, you know, if you're Lincoln Riley and you're rolling into USC and you're feeling very comfortable about the new job, then yeah, I'm going to roll the dice on Caleb Williams and developing him into a a prospect. Whereas, you know, if you're Brett Venables and you're walking into essentially a hornet's nest where everybody's mad in Oklahoma about everything that's going on right now, then I think that leaning on the experience of Dylan Gabriel is a very fair way to go. Oklahoma is going to win 10 games probably next year. If I had to bet nine or 10 games, just looking at the schedule, just depending on kind of where they're at. I will say uh, Jaleel Farouk is a kid that I really like 2024 kid. I just drafted him in our league, four star kid, six, one, two, three. I like him. And I think in that offense, he could be, he could be something there. So I just want to, just want to shout out my guy. All right, let's, uh, let's go to, let's go to our guy Herms. He asked scale of one to 10. How bad is my team in our startup? Well, do you have his team up, Jeff? I'm I'm pulling it up right now. I'll get his team up here. I got quick. it. I got so, it right now. So you got it? quarterback, okay. quarterback, he's got Anthony Richardson, Emory Jones, and Sam Hartman. He's got Travion Henderson, which hey, right there. A. A Herms. A with Travion Henderson. Uh Devin Chain, Sean Tucker. Those are great running backs. Uh Jacarius Marks, Relique Brown, uh Demond Demas, Emeka Ubuka, uh Treshawn Holden, Troy O'Meary, Tobias, uh, Merriweather, and Eric Gilbert. What do you think? What would you what's your grade on that team? This is a good team. Um, it is a good you know, team. Having having that combination of Travion Henderson and Sean Tucker, you feel comfortable about the running backs to come into the NFL. And Devin and Shane, I think, I, you know, I was hiding up him when he got picked. Um, I I let him go a little bit because I'm not sure what his level will be at the next level. But I I think that we can comfortably say that Texas A&M is going to rely on the running backs heavily this year with whatever who ends whoever ends up quarterback. You got you know Sam Hartman's my guy on the college fantasy side. Yeah. I absolutely love Sam Hartman. So that that's a good pick there to get that production there. And, and I don't know. I saw some things about there's a potential situation with Emory Jones, um, but I didn't know any details about that. Um, but Anthony Richardson, we know he's he can toolsy be as can be, cool. and so that's a guy that he can project to the potentially even the NFL level. And here's the thing, like, and, and Anthony Richardson's a great pick. If if Malik Willis can be a first round quarterback, Anthony Richardson could be. He's got more tools than Malik, right? Yeah, I think so. And he, there's a lot more things about his game that make you feel comfortable about it. Whether or not he can put it together in the next two years is a question. But yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I, I Herms, I think you did a great job with your picks. I love your running back room. Right, wide receiver room needs to produce, but. Your running back room is is solid. I actually kind of jealous. Not gonna lie. All right, let's uh let's move on. We're gonna do deal with this one really quick. Felix Sharp says, please have Kevin explain the source of his constant rage. You know, really, it's it's my it's my King fandom and Cowboy fandom, Felix, uh, and also Michigan fandom, really all wrapped up into one. Just kind of tears me apart. Uh, and then I got to deal with these guys every week. All right, let's uh let's move on. Uh, John Stepowitz from M- NBC Edge, one of my good friends on this on this app. I really like him. Please check out his work. Is Spencer Rattler going? to be a top five quarterback jeff you know i i, I don't you can see my response to, to john on twitter but i i ask him if he means in the sec east because <laughs> um to to put spencer rattler in a top five quarterback you know i don't know because it's not that crazy is, it's not that it is not that crazy because 23 i think we feel very comfortable about um stroud and young but reality of it is after that in 23 
it's pretty open, I think, in terms of quarterbacks. And, you know, we kind of thought that DJ Uyunglele would be right there and he's fallen down. And, um, yeah, it's it's not crazy to think that. Uh, I, I'm of the belief that I'm not entirely sure Rattler's stock was as high as a lot of people believed it was. I don't, there were a lot of people that believed he was the no doubt one on one at this point last year. I'm not entirely convinced that was sure because I think there were a lot of concerns that teams would have had that he, um, didn't follow through on. So those concerns are still going to be out there and whether or not he can fix those in South Carolina will be a big question. So, so like we're looking at his class, we have Tyler Van Dyke from Miami. Would you rather have Spencer Rather or Hendon Hooker? Well, I would probably, <laughs> man, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I think that I would go with Hooker. Um, I think the, just the athletic tools maybe. And, yeah. and he's kind of, it's one of these that Rattler stock is kind of doing this thing right now. And Hooker stock is a little bit doing this thing right now. And, and there's certainly the way that they continue to go, they could cross each other. Now Rattler could bounce back and still end up comfortably ahead of him. Okay. I, I'm not leaving out the hook yet. Uh, Rattler or Phil Jerkovich from Boston college. I would rather have Rattler. I'm not a big believer in no. Phil. Neither am I. Phil, Phil, Phil's a, one of those, it's like a unicorn. People talk about Phil as being this, this prospect and I've never seen it. I've, I've yet to see that there. And all right, last one, Rattler or Grayson McCall. Yeah. Uh, Phil looks like he's playing in boots, like combat boots. <laughs> I swear to God. So, so, um, all right. Rattler or Grayson McCall. I would still take Rattler there. I, oh, I think McCall, McCall. Hey, what is this? What know, is this slander of my I, guy McCall? I, I, I think app? there's, uh, I think there's, um, there's some things going on to make Grayson McCall look, look pretty good. Um, I think that there's some smoke and mirrors that are going on there. That, oh, you know, if hey. I think if you were to put Spencer Rattler in that situation, I think he'd be pretty productive too. Man, that's well, all right. We don't have enough time to get into this debate, but I will say, I, I do think that I, I, I don't know. Like I think after even Bryce and Stroud have, I'm a big Bryce guy. Everybody knows that for two years I've been on this thing, Tom Bryce. He's got to develop. They got to develop. They got to get better. And I think that they do. And I, I don't think it's like automatic that these guys are just these guys. Like, I think it's going to, I think, I think Rattler, if he, like we talked about, if he has a good start of the year, maybe they start talking about him and then doing those stuff, but he's got a lot to work on and he's got a lot to kind of develop there. Uh, now we're going to just kind of, we're going to go to FF Chris B uh, at FF Chris B, but we're going to talk about the other side of this question. We just talked about Rattler chances that DJU. Uyunglele, see, I said it right from Clemson can turn this thing around. What do you think, Jeff chances? If we had to give her chances out of a hundred percent, what do you think? Chances out of a hundred percent. I put him right at 50, 50 because we yeah. know he's got the physicality to do it. And we've seen the production at the college level. He's done it before. Now, you know, that I don't know if it was adjusting the arm angle that screwed him up or if it was I think that there was a dip of talent. You know, I my belief is that Clemson was has always been the same thing um, that they were the 10 and two, nine and three Clemson team. And I think that they lucked into two generational quarterbacks back to back. And I think that that artificially raised the ceiling of expectations on what Clemson actually is. And they had a little bit of a run there, I think, where they hit a vein of a lot of good players. And it kind of seems like that dip has kind of come back down. Uh, and so I, they really need some talent to step up around DJ. I have a hard time putting it all on him because 
I don't know, man. Their receivers are like all the same guy. They're all these big guys that are not able to separate. And so he's essentially being asked to not entirely convince their offense is overly innovative. And I think it's the type of thing that once you didn't have the elite quarterback in there, that um, defenses were able to catch up to it a little bit. And especially the inexperience with DJ. They, they turned it around at the end of the season. Not so much offensively, but they were a much better team at the end of the year than they were at the beginning of the year. But the reality is they got lucky in so many situations that that could have been easily a 5-7 and seven team that ended up yeah. being, I think they only lost two or three games the entire year. Hey, and if we're being honest, if you're looking at, like, they lost 10-7 to seven to Georgia. Yes. Even at the beginning yes. of the year, I mean, they still were – that's not what George is, national championship, what he did. I will say this. I, I trolled the, for all our listeners out there. I, I am your guy. Tiger Net. I don't know. This is like a Clemson Tiger kind of weird rabbit hole of whatever. But I read an article from them, and they talked about DJU having – he wore a knee brace for a lot of the year. He was injured there, and he had a splint on his index figure that really kind of hindered him. And he's slimming down. So there are his camps. I've seen reports of this, is that he's losing weight. And he's lost about 10 pounds already. Whether that helps him or it hurts him, I don't know. I think that's the issue is what we're having to see. But, I mean, it's kind of like, do you believe the reports that he was kind of injured? We look at what, remember, everybody made that with Slovis. Hey, you know, he's got that injury. He's got the injury. I, I think DJU was a little injured. was a little banged up. I think his confidence was a little beat up. I think his receivers weren't that great. Like, if we switch Bryce and DJ, are we having the same conversation? Are we having this, like, hey, Bryce, you know, he struggled with the weapons he had. Maybe he struggles with those things. So, like, I think there's some nuance to this guy, too. I like I still say it's 50-50, too, like you said. Like, there is a scenario where he comes out and he looks like a top-five guy again, and there's a scenario where he gets beat out by Kate Klubnick, and they just and we don't see DJU ever again. Or he transfers to UNLV with Harrison Bailey. Yeah, and I think that, you know, Dabo Sweeney – Obviously, he wanted to make the college football playoff, and I, I would imagine that there was probably a good bit of coaching during the offseason leading up to the season saying, DJ, we have studs on defense. We have a very good defense. Keep the train on the tracks. And yeah. I think that I think that when you if you go back to his freshman tape, uh, he just was so much looser. Like it just yeah. kind of he seemed like I've got nothing to lose. I'm going to go out here. I'm going to roll it out here. I'm going to throw the ball around. And then it just seemed like, yeah, maybe it was the injury, but there there certainly wasn't any playmaking going on. But it kind of seemed like he had been drilled for an entire offseason. Don't turn the ball over. Don't put us in a position to lose, and our defense is going to win us the game. Yeah, I, I think that I think that played a role. I, I, I do. I really do. I think Dabo isn't – I don't want to say he's overrated because then I get Clemson people yelling at me. There's a lot of Clemson fans on oh Twitter – yeah, I know. There are. I think he tends to be a little overrated in his play calling. It'll be interesting to see what they can bring back. I know they promote it from within. Uh, so, again, I, in my opinion, DJU has more of a chance to turn around than Spencer because I think he has the physical tools yeah. on top of that. So if he can do that, then you're looking at it like, hey, I got my, my aspect back and I can kind of get it there. All right, we're going to do this last one. We're going to answer every question no matter what, and uh, this question should be fast. Uh, Bethany Peters asks us, who are the best prospects from Duke over the next two years? I'm pretty sure it's not Banchero as, a, as if we're not a basketball podcast. So do you have anything for Duke, uh, for, our, for Bethany here, Jeff? Mateo Durant was a fun player, but he just doesn't seem to be on the draft radar at no. all. Um, 
No, I don't. I don't have anybody. I, I did their. I did their breakdown today. Uh, you know, if I had to put anything on there, Jalen Calhoun's an interesting player. He had 702 yards and three touchdowns last year. Uh, I would probably just say him because he actually produced. But other than that, now that's that's not there. All right, what's going to go to this last question here? Who is your pick to win the Super Bowl? I, you know, I'm just gonna. I, I'm going to take the Rams. Um, okay. I really want to go with the Bengals. Um, and there's feels like there's a team of destiny narrative, but it's, I, I said oh, two weeks ago that it feels like a lot like last year's Super Bowl, where the kind of the Achilles heel of the Bengals, that offensive line, um, the Rams pass rush defensive line is just kind of going to eat it up. And the Bengals are really going to struggle to make too much happen. It just, you know, I, I think it. I go back. I go back as a Detroit Tigers fan. I go back to the uh, 2006 World Series, and the Tigers were the hottest team in baseball. And they, I think that their talent wasn't exactly at the same level as probably some of the best teams in baseball. Um, but then they had two weeks off, and or they they had an extended break because the Mets and the Cardinals went to Game Seven in the NLCS, and then when they got into um, the World Series, the, that was the famous World Series where the Detroit Tigers pitchers forgot how to throw to first base and yeah. they got swept out of that series because everybody just fell apart um, mentally. It was one of those that I think when you're in the moment and you're able to ride the momentum, you can keep going with it. When you have that extra bit of time to, to catch your breath, then I think that that kind of catches up to you a little bit. Yeah, and I think it, to me it comes down to Zach Taylor versus Sean McVay. Zach Taylor's not a good coach. I don't care what anybody says out there. Zach, he's he's not good at what he he's not good. He's gotten lucky. They've had some good drafts. They got Joey, you know, Joe Burrow, who you know, different opinions on the show about him. But if he, if the only way they win this, I feel like if Burrow goes nuts, like Burrow has one of those games that you're just like, oh my god, he did it. I think he's gonna be running around with his with, for his life back there. I think Aaron Donald is gonna just try to cut him in half. I, I, I tend to go with the Rams as well, just because I think they have the better coach and I think that they have the better system and they have the better pass rush. And I think that's going to hurt that offensive line. Now, Matt Stafford can certainly give it to the other team with the best of them. So there yeah. is the, there's that chance where Stafford turns the ball over three or four times and we kind of have a different conversation about it, but yeah, that's what my yeah. takeaways. Which is totally fair. And who knows, you know, in terms of fumbling issues that we've seen with acres and those things, like if they lose a turnover game, then I think it's anything like just like anything there. So, all right. Hey, we appreciate you guys tuning in to the, you've got mail show today with a mailbag. We will be back to normal next week with Christian coming back, diving into prospects. So we're just going to be giving you guys prospect information, rookie Debbie prospects, really diving into it. So we appreciate Hey, we appreciate all the listens that you guys giving it, giving us and all the subs and everything there. We really appreciate that. Uh, next week on February 15th, we will be on at 930 Eastern. So please make sure you check us out. Until then, I'm Kevin Coleman at the boys underscore 22. I'm Jeff Bell at For Whom J Bell Tolls. And this is the Debbie Royale.